Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode number 52 of Navigating Education, the podcast. And we're focused tonight on building community and relationships with students as we begin this 2022-23 school year and really applies to anyone where you are um, starting off with a new group of students, educators, um, any sort of group that you're working with so that that can propel you forward. And it's just such a um, huge thing to establish at the beginning. First impressions mean a lot and then continue to maintain that over the course of a school year and just really talking about a number of strategies. So I'm really excited to have um, Bonnie Neves here tonight to talk about this. And she is a uh, teacher, author, consultant uh, from Central Massachusetts. And she is here to talk with me about this topic and really excited to jump into it tonight. And hopefully the strategies that we provide can really help uh, you start the year, maybe have a few other tool uh, tools in your toolkit and strategies to go forward with and um, really help find this useful. So Bonnie, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. It's funny. I just, even in that couple of seconds, I already thought of a note that I need to take to talk about at some point during our conversation. This is going to be so rich. I just can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself for those that are listening now and for those that may be listening later about your background in education and uh, tell us a little bit how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So uh, right now I am a high school science teacher. I am extraordinarily fortunate to be teaching only electives now. I've been teaching for about 15 years and I know it sounds ridiculous that I don't know exactly how long I've been teaching, but I just, I don't because the way I got into teaching was through um, the special education position I had as a paraprofessional. So it just kind of blended into becoming a teacher. And so I didn't really keep track of how long it's been. Um, I actually have to look at my resume to know what year it actually started. Um, and before that, I worked as a scientist in a, a science lab doing protein purifications and amplifications. That was not fun. So <laughs> that's how I ended up teaching science and actually um, using that experience to really give the kids a real world um, perspective on what they're doing in class. No, definitely. That's awesome. And we were able to connect earlier about essentially um, that special education uh, connection that we had and just the impact that you made in that position, just seeing that student grow over time. And and that kind of segues us into kind of really tonight's discussion is, you know, these relationships with their students. I mean, it can, I think, are, you know, make or break, um, I think, that experience for both parties involved. And we really need to be um, involved in 
really setting up that relationship and this, and then maintaining it over time and just being okay with not, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be ebb and flow. Right. And it's a give or take. So um, let's jump into, um, you know, really, you know, talking about this at the beginning of the school year. And I know a lot of people talk about like icebreakers or that type of stuff. Some people may think that they're, um, you know, not necessarily the best thing to go or tacky or that type of thing. And then sometimes they're really cool or there's, there could be, it just really depends on the experience and the context, I think. So um, I want to ask you, what do you usually do when you have, you know, your new set of students and maybe to talk about the first couple of weeks of like, what do you do to really get to know? I mean, for you, since you teach high school, maybe like sometimes between like 80 to 120. And I know some educators are up to 200 students. So what do you usually do at this time of the year? So at the very beginning of the year, I don't know how other uh, other states set up their schedules, but in Massachusetts, well, at the two, in, at the two schools that I've worked in in Massachusetts, we have two professional development days before students come in. And we always get some time to set up our classrooms. So during that time, I actually don't set up my classroom. I call or at least attempt to call every single household of the students that I'm going to have just for a quick conversation. And I make it a point to not be doing the talking. So I just call, introduce myself and say, what would you like me to know about your child? And then let them go let them talk about all of the things all of the nuances the bad experiences the good experiences i get so much background before i even meet the kids so that has been a game changer for me and of course i don't get to talk to every parent or every home or every caregiver but it does make a difference in how i how i approach the kids the next day because instead of going into a classroom completely going off of like teachers conceptions from last year or what i heard about this kid from another time or even my own experience with a student in the past the parents and caregivers are always the ones that are going to say you know what um this is what my kid really needs this is the stuff you know, we know what those conversations are. So I try to have them before I meet kids. Um, no, definitely. I think just having that um, talk with the caregiver, the guardian, the parent, et cetera, or just anyone that's associated with a child can help get that really important idea of, you know, who they who they may be, what they may bring to the table and what, what you can do to help support them. I think that's huge. Um, Besides doing that, what do you generally do when once the students arrive in, in the classroom? Um, for the last few years, what I've been doing, and I love it, students love it, is I have a sign on the, on the board or on the whiteboard or somewhere in the room that says, welcome to your new favorite class. Please seat yourselves according to birthday. And it's just month and day. And no other instructions are given. And... They never do it the same way twice. And they it just gives me such a great opportunity to see who the natural leaders are in the room because there's always at least one. And there's always one that sits in the corner and just waits till someone asks what their birthday is and tells them where to sit. And, you know, December's always just sit 
you know, at the end of the room and then someone will say, no, no, that's not where December belongs. We started with June because my birthday is June. <laughs> it's hilarious to watch the conversations and get to know students in that way. I love that idea. And just like I've, I've done it before where you, you, you line them up and say, can you guys order yourself from, you know, whoever is the youngest and whoever is the oldest. And you can't actually have a conversation except um, really essentially kind of just like pretend to move each other or you can put other stipulations, not just not talking, but you can do a lot of different types of things. And then um, a lot of different other like team building exercises or getting to know each other like through four corners or inside outside circle. Um, yeah, so those are just a couple that I just had just come to mind. What else do you do besides that one strategy to get started? I love games. So we do a lot of minute to win it. And I mean, just go on YouTube and look up the minute to win it games. There are lots of them that I do really inexpensively with, um, with like Dixie cups and ping pong balls and Velcro things, pencils and all sorts of things. So um, I randomly assign kids into groups in all different sorts of ways and have them work together and that no one ever sits out all of the minute to win it games. They might not like the group that they're in and they might not know the kids that they're with, but you, they can't resist trying. And so that's a lot of fun. Um, and then another favorite that I have actually from Trish Richmond is uh, jigsaw puzzles. So I went to the dollar store, got a bunch of jigsaw puzzles and on the back, when they're constructed, there's a question. So the kids have to put the puzzle together and then figure out how to flip it over so they can read the question and then talk about what's on the back. And the things I have on the back are, um, what's a common experience that all of you have? What is a, um, favorite place to go on vacation or to go for a day? What's your favorite food? Just things like that. So it gets kids talking. And I keep the jigsaw puzzles in a bookcase in my room all year. And kids go back to them because they want to put them together and find out what the question is on the backside. So no, I, I, I love that. Um, yeah, that definitely that's some talking, like you said, and also, um, you know, gets to, you know, have them build, you know, know each other a little bit more. And then for you as a teacher, you can go and see just each individual group or student in that process and start, um, gaining that insight for them. And I was just thinking of, um, just another, um, beginning of the school at your activity is, is that using like a tool like Canva or even Google slides, you can have the students create their own baseball card of themselves which you talk about like the very, you can provide various attributes or prompts for that type of thing. And then essentially you can put, do a digital gallery walk there after and print it out. And then you can have that available, you know, throughout the year. You as your teacher yourself can even have that as like your own deck of mm -hmm. students and use it as like the calling cards if you would like. Um, so those can get pretty cool as well. So, um, while we're on this last, while we're on this question, um, so let's think about, you know, this is, we're talking about the first week where, where do you want to go at, you know, as we're going to like week two, 
in week three when we're, you know, building relationships with students as we move into the school year? Um, I, being a science teacher, I like to use things from um, environmental science. Even though I don't teach environmental science, I, um, I use examples like colonizing insects and um, see, there was killer bees I used one time. Any sort of animal that comes together in a community that helps, like every individual knows their position and that they have a role to help the community. And then we do the ecology of that and they're typically in biotech wondering, why are we doing ecology again in biotechnology? And then I ask the question, how is, how is that community the same or different from a classroom community? And um, then we come up with a slogan or a, a motto for our class. And um, like last year, my, my favorite was the, um, the swarm because there, there is a swarm of bees that work together to accomplish one goal. And they used it all year. It was the first time I've seen kids actually um, say something like, I don't know, you don't, you don't look like you're swarming to me. And it just kept the camaraderie going. It was really cool, like in an unexpected way. No, that's, that's, that's awesome because I think that truly is something where you're building community and be, you know, you're building relationships, but you're also building that community aspect. So, you know, as you move throughout the school year and thinking about this notion of community, um, you know, you just spoke about it just for a moment ago. What, how have you throughout like a school year? Uh, well, I, I'm going to ask that next, but you know, what are your typical like go-to things to help you build that community? So we talked about activities. Do you generally have any sort of like routines or anything of that nature of just like, for example, um, having the students talk about the norms, um, just making mm -hmm. sure that they have buy-in in terms of the procedures or if they get to build in some of the procedures themselves, or there's like a lot of choice and agency in what you're doing. So do you have any examples of that for in terms of just that community building piece? Yeah, there's an activity that I do after um, we've really gotten to know each other really well. There's an activity that I do called constructive and destructive which is all about um, things that in the world that are constructive and they can just name anything and the kids come up with all sorts of examples and then name anything that's destructive and then talk about uh, like i give them a question if you're out to dinner with your friends and your phone rings you answer it or if you get a notification do you pull it down if you're out to dinner with your family, does your answer change? And then we talk about sometimes things are constructive and sometimes things are destructive when we don't realize it. And then we, um, it leads to, um, what are things that people do that tear other people down? And think of anything. And this is gonna be our list of things that we never do in this class. And then what are the things that people do to build other people up? And those are things that we're going to always try to do all the time. So we put that on a gigantic post-it note and the kids write 
they work in groups and we have like four or five post-it notes and they go up on the wall and they stay there all year. And we refer back to those like that. That is a destructive behavior that we're not, we try not to do. And people, the kids call it out and they thank each other for doing things that are um, constructive and they warn against doing things that are destructive. And I love how you have that as an ongoing thing on the board, right? It's like a bulletin board, right? Where they yeah. essentially are going, you know, you have those things that are listed there and that, that you know, that seems like they're generally student uh, generated. So that's- Yeah, completely. Yeah. And what, thanks, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just thinking that that was really cool how uh, they're student generated versus um, you know, teacher driven and that they're, you know, they're, they, they're an artifact, they stay in the classroom. And to me, that visual piece is really important, especially for something that is student driven and, and it relates to, um, this environment that we're in. Yeah. And the things that kids come up with are not so different. Like they come up with more things than I would have put on a syllabus or a behavior expectations sheet. And there are, there are things like tapping pens that some people just can't tolerate. And we will we'll always try to not tap pens, but there's always the, you know, compliment people when you can, um, always, um, always assume best intentions, listen to understand so many, these kids at the high school level come up with a lot of things that when I was in high school, I would not have thought of there. It's really cool. No, that, that's fantastic. And, and I can even think a little bit about primary where the students, instead of having them fully generate, you give them a deck of cards, which essentially could have like, there are about 10 or 12 different cards and they all have different like small social stories. So it's like a small comic. And essentially, then you tell the students, you know, as a group of four, pick, pick, um, you know, sort them and determine what are your top five things. And they, they're all related to more of like positive, um, you know, behaviors or positive norms. So to me, that's like you could do it at the secondary level, but it's also very primary based. And you can yeah. do it also for um, just behavior, procedures, etc. cetera. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, when we think about primary um, is a good is a good activity and even for grown-ups to be honest um, I was in a one meeting be, um, this past week and essentially they gave us you know here's a number of cards pick your you know top five priorities and there's about 15 of them and then they compare it amongst the groups um, so I, I really I really like that um, so definitely um, a great way to um, you know, these strategies to build community. So let's talk now a little bit about, you know, throughout the year, I think when I talk to like student teachers or teachers that I'm coaching um, in my capacity is, is that this notion of like ongoing community, you know, we can really focus on it at the beginning of the school year, but I think really it's just reinforcement over time. And I think that, you know, maintaining the ebbs and flows of student relationships between you and, and and a teacher and vice versa, it, it's really huge. So how do you generally do that in, in your classroom? The the one thing that I do consistently, regardless of the, the class, is Monday morning meetings. 
and it starts off with tell tell a story about your weekend you know and if you want to tell it in front of the class fantastic i'd love you to share and if it's something that you want to tell me in private fantastic i'm glad that you're that you're willing to share that with me and kids end up it's it starts off slow and then i have to actually put a time limit on it because it gets to like softball games and trips to different places like or had a birthday or had my favorite meal but it real that has really helped me to learn what kids are doing when they're not at school and like all of the the baseball games and soccer games athletic events that i'm missing and i i didn't know they were even on a team but now i do so i get to go to that and other people the kids in the room congratulate kids or you know give hugs and pats on the back for oh my gosh you know i'm i'm sorry that thing happened to you but i'm glad that this is a place where you can share that and um, again for high school i imagine it's a whole lot different because the not that the coping skills are perfect in high school but they um kids typically have a support system where they can say you know i real i really want to go to my guidance counselor and that this is the time you can ask anytime but monday morning meeting is the best time to set your intention for the week and if you feel like you're going to have a bad week then let's take care of that sooner than later no i i i love the morning meetings and I, and i've seen um you know classrooms and schools do that and i think it's a great way for everyone to be on the same page of like hey what, what's going on in your life what have you been doing how can i get to know you a little bit better and it can be small you know sound bites um of you know what they've been doing so that you can get to everyone in that one instance i i, I really love that and um i've done very similar um of those types of activities, um, just circle activities. I'm not sure how you assemble your morning meetings, but I like I like the circle piece where you get to go around and hold a, a talking piece, and then the students essentially get that opportunity to, um, you know, mention those things in front of class. It's a little awkward at first, the first few times throughout uh, the year, but then over time, as students get used to it, then it really helps. Um, them build that confidence in themselves to talk about not only just things about what they may have done um, over the weekend, but just, you know, things that they can be going through, especially if the student's willing to open up. And I think also, too, I think the teacher can be a good model for that, especially if you're not going to disclose, you know, everything, but you're going to disclose maybe, you know, this was a difficult thing for me today, or this was something that was a really big win for me. Um, just being showing that level of, um, I think vulnerability is really important, especially I think with, uh, high school students, because they can really relate. I think yeah. at the primary, um, I really like when you use this, the notion of this circle after you've done like a social story where you have essentially the story of, you know, maybe it's like a mentor text or something of, you know, you know, what do you usually do in this situation or what 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 typically how would you react to this if something happened to like on the playground or at home or out and about and then you have the students respond to it um and kind of get the brummer there so 
Yeah, I think it's a strategy, like you mentioned, that can be used for any level um, and can be continually um, done throughout the year. A anything else that comes to mind? Um, a couple other strategies that you have? Um, well, there's one that I accidentally stumbled upon this summer, and it's actually like a short, funny story. I was at a three-day-long professional development, and periodically, the facilitator would say, this is our time for our deep, um, for a deep breathe. And I was like, that's a weird way to say it, but okay, I'll sit here and breathe deeply for a little while. And then it turns out she was saying debrief. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> I could use either of those actually. So I think I'm gonna work in into my class a deep breathe debrief after like a big chunk of work and see how it goes. I think, you know, see who chooses what and how, how that goes. So um, I'll keep you posted on that one. Yeah, I think that's going to be great. I, I, I love this notion of the debrief and um, I like the idea of three, two, one. So essentially like what are three positive things that you may have done? What are two, you know, constructive things that I can work on or we can work on? And then what's one thing that we want to further um, explore and think about related to what we, you know, what we've done. So I think that's a great strategy. And I think that it's going to go really well for you. So I'm excited to hear about that. So um, now in terms of just these, you know, building relationships, you know, like I said, ebb and flow, but let's talk a little bit about when things maybe go a little bit awry. I mean, I think that, you know, we all have, there's a level of, for educators, it's conflict resolution. I think a lot of us spend time, um, I, you know, we call it classroom management, but I think really you're kind of like that arbiter and it's like, you're, you're, you're trying to resolute, you're trying to make things better. And it usually, you know, it could be between yourself and the student or other students amongst each other. And it doesn't matter what age they are or what context they're in, but you know, how, how, you know, how can we de-escalate and how can we make it so that it ultimately isn't gonna, you know, hurt our relationship um, you know, too much over time, because there's going to be times when, you know, we aren't, aren't going to be perfect or they're not going to be perfect. And we got to figure out ways to, um, you know, move forward. Yeah, I, um, I don't have a lot of conflict. And I think, again, it's because in high school, kids are typically more regulated, but not always. Um, but I really love restorative practices. And it's kind of like what you were saying, you know, we can resolve something, that's fine, but that doesn't mean we're gonna push it under the rug. We need to restore the relationship that we had. So let's figure out how we're gonna get that done. And I, I have done talking circles where we just, um, we start out with the talking piece and go around the room highlight. How do you feel about what happened in the class yesterday? And just really simple. We're not, you know, we're not judging. We're just passing the talking piece. How do you feel about what happened in class yesterday? And it, when I can, I get a guidance counselor or the school psychologist involved, depending on, um, there was one, one case where I had to get the, the school psychologist involved because um, I didn't feel comfortable dealing with that situation. And 
it kids really appreciate it. I was hesitant at first because I thought, well, they're gonna think this is some kind of hokey thing that you know they're they're not gonna pay attention. They're gonna talk when they don't have the talking piece, and that did not happen. They completely respected the process, and they were thankful to have it. So I really truly think that that can work at any grade level, and um, I guess it just needs to be done carefully. And I agree. I think that just like over time, it's something that you can, you, you build into it. So it's like, you don't at first, you know, when the first conflict happens, you're not going to just like essentially, um, you know, do a full out large circle with the entire class, maybe just with the parties. And maybe there's like a, another possibly third party. Maybe it could be um, the school psychologist or social worker or it can be, um, you know, I, I think that it's, um, you know, I think it's just got it. You got to, it's like a gradual release piece. And then your students got to understand, like, how do you model that to them? Like, how do you model like active listening before mm -hmm. reacting? And those are things I think at the beginning of the year, I think that we got to focus and put into our classroom routines. Um, and I think it's just really, um, important for us to essentially um, to do that because if you don't have that background in place then when it does happen our students aren't going to be in, in, in the position to I think respond well uh, and I do like your idea also is that when things do get to the escalation point where you need that outside support you got to utilize those extra school resources like the psychologist social worker um, even like the case manager, if, it, if there's uh, special education students involved. I mean, I think that it's a it's a it's a community um, that's there to help do that. And I think that schools that are a little bit more forward in terms of utilizing and implementing restorative justice, um, you get you know that conflict mitigation piece versus the cost uh, versus like those consequences where students are generally suspended and that type of stuff. And I want to mention that we do have. Um, one of i think bonnie one of your friends that is in the youtube chat yeah. and um i don't want to um i want to make sure i get her name correct um um Heidrich is her name i believe Hedrick. Hedrick. okay yeah. awesome and i spell that all no <laughs> no it, it definitely i wish i could hear it and um and it does bring up a point that I'm going to mention in, in a minute is um, her point is, is that, uh, you know, her, her major um, point of building community um, is, um, you know, is building community favorite topic to discuss with other educators. And um, I, I think that that question is, is that it really depends um, of really the school culture piece of, you know, are we going to be open to talking about this with others within our department or, or school itself? And has it been something that is modeled by our school leaders? Um, that's from what I've seen amongst um, various schools that I've been to. And I, has that been from your experience too, Bonnie, in, in what you've experienced in, in your own education? Well, yeah, it's really different depending on the, the school community that you're in, for sure. And I can say that there's some advice that I got a while ago 
from a, um, a teacher on Twitter, of course, because that's where I spend 90% of my time. Um, but I said, you know, I wish I had time to do all of these things that are so important to building community. And he said, make time. You won't regret it. And I thought, okay, fingers crossed, I'm going to do it. And it, it's so true. If you just take the, it sounds like it won't work, but you take even the first two weeks of school and just get to know kids, play with kids, play games, go outside. The weather's still gorgeous. Go do things and learn about one another and model the behavior that you want them to have. And like, Say things specifically, you, like, um, I, I think I might have misunderstood what you said. Can you please repeat that instead of, what did you just say? You know, like all of these little things that you can model in those two weeks that set the whole school year off to, on the right foot. And whether you realize it or not, every day you're modeling behavior and no 100 they like the, the kids are there to watch you like that's their their job when they're at school so you got to know they're watching whether you are in the classroom or in the hallway or in the teacher's lounge they're watching so you have to be really mindful of the model that you're setting Definitely. And I can tell you from my first number of years of in the classroom, I made the big mistake of not focusing on that enough. And I paid for it throughout the entire year. I mean, you, you will pay, you will pay for it uh, as an educator that if you don't, you know, really focus on this at the beginning of the year and you're not going to be perfect at it. But then the day though, if you do the investment of building relationships and community, then you're going to put yourself in um, a really good position to be successful. And, for me, um, you know, I, I've always sometimes struggled with, um, you know, pronouncing student names. And I think one of the best things that I was able to do is have the students either write down how to pronounce the name or go on the Flipgrid and then pronounce the name and then have that so that I can work on pronouncing their name was a huge, um, you know, really, Thing that I could do that would really help me set up on a good foot versus, you know, the awkward and, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just not fair to certain kids when you, you say things that are not 100% correct. So, um, you know, really just those first impressions are, are, are key to um, starting you off right and then, you know, building that over time, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things that you said at the beginning that I wanted to come back to is about first impressions because as the teacher, you're the one that sets the first impression, right? You're the one that creates the activity that kids are going to do when they come in the room. You're the one that's either standing at the door saying hello to everyone, or you're sitting at your desk with your plan book open or whatever it is that you're doing. And I'm, I say these things because I've experienced it. I felt the pressure of having to be, you know, ready as soon as the kids come in and to be writing on the board and putting the agenda up and taking care of things. But what I really need to be doing is standing at the door. And I really need to greet kids when they come in and I need to make sure they're settled and not chaotic 
before I get started. And if that takes 20 minutes, well, then it took 20 minutes. But it's better than me standing in front of the room talking for 20 minutes and nobody heard. No, I, I think you made a great point there is it's just invest the time. And if it takes 20 minutes and it's going to take 20 minutes and just be OK with it and adjust, because at the end of the day, I think, you know, we we all have content and skills we want to focus on. But it, it really you're not going to get to that unless you do that work. You're not going to get everyone on board or get, you know, that 80 to 90 percent on board. Um, yeah. So that's that's truly important. So. As we finish up here, I want you to just, you know, what are two to three uh, strategies that you recommend educators so that they can navigate the present and future of education? I just love talking about this at the end of each episode because everyone has something that they want to say about this. So tell, um, you know, tell all the listeners what exactly would you suggest for them? My first thing is just always be curious. Be curious about what's working. Be curious about why it's not working. Be curious about the the relationships and the students in the room and always approach things without judgment, just with curiosity. It's hard, but it pays off. And the other thing is to keep kids busy, but appreciate downtime, right? Like we were just saying. So if if you have a classroom of 25, 30 kids that come into the room and most are settled and some are not, you can't ignore the kids that aren't settled and you can't hope they're going to settle themselves. So make sure you have some activity, even if it's an on the fly thing that you can grab for kids to do while you quietly help to settle the kids that came in that are unsettled. That right off the bat. And for me, that's things like Wordle saved me last year. That was fantastic. Kids loved it. And word ladders, even in high school. Just whip one of those out. And that's probably the only paper copies I have of things at all ever anymore. But um, just do something fun for for once in a while. Just let it, let it be fun. Um, and always face whatever situation you have in your room at the time. Don't try to hope it will go away because things tend to just fester. So maybe in the moment isn't the best time, but keep in mind that that same issue, if it wasn't resolved, is going to return to the classroom the next time. Right? And if it's between two students or between you and a student or no matter what, if you don't know that it's been resolved, it's you can assume it's just going to come back. So don't let things go. No, I, I, I love those those two tips, you know, just uh, having that downtime, do something a little bit fun. And even, though you know, Wordle or Ladder, those are academically appropriate, I think, in, in a lot of contexts. And they're going to learn something from it and it can be connected to possibly what you're doing. And additionally, um, Really, yeah, letting things fester is just, you know, it, it, it's going to, um, you know, arise eventually and it's probably going to be worse off if you just don't stomp on it at that one time. And I know it's hard sometimes because you just don't want to deal with it or navigate that situation at the time because you have all these other things going on. But, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes just better just to 
really just, you know, take it on then um, and see what you can do and then and move forward. So um, really appreciate your insights tonight, Bonnie. So um, tell us a little bit about, you know, how can we follow you? What are you kind of working on before we uh, take off here? And um, anything that is um, interesting that our followers and listeners should uh, know about your work? Oh, all right. So um, I wrote a book. Um, it's an edumatch book and it's on every flat surface in this room. Hold on. Oh, sorry about my reach. <laughs> there it is. This would be awesome on purpose. This is it. Oh, it's just the story of my um, my trials and errors and how hopefully someone who reads it won't have to go through all of the errors and just start with what were my solutions and see if it works for them. Um, I also started up a consulting um, LLC called Educate on Purpose that I will be rolling out some online courses really soon. I'm pretty excited about that. And they will be centered on student-centered instruction, formative assessment, and um, grading practices. Because I, I have been a gradeless teacher in high school science for a decade now. And with not little, no pushback from families. And it's, it, I, I can't believe I can say those things, but it's because I am really forward. I call parents ahead of time. I tell them that this is gonna look differently and I promise you're gonna love it, give it a chance and always keep the lines of communication open. Uh, that's that, those are awesome things and they got so many uh, great things that, you know, educators can, um, you know, look at, interact with, take in and incorporate in their classroom. And I love the gradeless movement and, um, you know, I, I can't wait to have my next class to be like that in the future. And I'm going to someday want to have a gradeless panel on this because I've talked to Dave Frangiugosa before on this podcast and um, his work. So it'd be great just to hear everyone's perspectives of doing it a little bit different. And, it, you know, it's funny, he's another uh, science teacher. I, I wonder if it's a science teacher thing of more of the gradeless people. Um, but it's, it'd be interesting just to see. But uh, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's nice to actually hear your voice. No, definitely. We've been connecting for so long in silent spaces. And um, yeah, it's nice to connect here. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. It's always great to connect with people and, and learn from them and definitely learned a lot from you in this episode. So to our listeners, you can follow the podcast on uh, my website at matthewroads.com or on Spotify, uh, Anchor, um, Breaker, or really any of the major podcast players. And each week we come out with an episode generally, and we're up at episode 52. And I can't wait until... Um, the next string of episodes. So I hope that you all can uh, take a look and listen to all of our other episodes as well as our future episodes. So until next time, have a great week. And if it's the beginning of your school year, have a fantastic school year. All righty, everyone. Have a good evening. Bye, everybody. <laughs>